that idea of spending more energy and getting nowhere will rob the joy of our disciple-making adventure. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple-Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians to become world-changing disciple-makers. Hello, disciple-making friends. I'm Paul Watson, and I'm here with Rebecca Ewing. Today, we're going to talk about creating a disciple-making adventure you won't want to escape. I'm pretty excited to dive in, but before we do, could you do me a favor? Could you leave us a rating or a review on whatever podcasting platform you use to listen to our podcast? Your rating and review help people find our podcast and know that listening to us share what God is teaching us is worth their time. Not to mention, your rating and review is super encouraging to Rebecca and I. Also, don't forget that for less than the price of one fancy pumpkin spice latte, just $5 a month, that you can listen to our premium content and our complete library of CDM podcasts. Just head on over to patreon.com slash faithworks. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash faithworks or click on the link in the description. All right, let's dive into today's content. Let me ask you guys this, the question, Rebecca. I'll ask you this question too, obviously. Ask me this right here with me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't think anybody else can answer if, you. If you've, have you ever been camping? No. Traveled overseas or gone on an extended road trip? No. no. None of those. You totally have been camping. I know you've been well, camping. Uh, I've never, well, okay. Uh, I think I've met, maybe been on one camping trip and is driving down from one state to the next considered an extended road trip? It, it could be. Did you have to like stay overnight somewhere else like on the way? No. Okay. Uh, have you, you please tell me you've been on an airplane somewhere. I've been on an airplane. Yes. I've never okay. been overseas. Did you go to Disney world? Yes. Okay. You've been to Disney world, right? Did you have to drive there? Well, yeah, but at the time it wasn't that far away. So, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm just obviously this is not working so much, but let me just pose this to our our listeners here. Okay, if you've ever been on a camping trip, an extended travel overseas, or go on a road trip that's been like several days, you know that a lot of hard work goes into an adventure. Okay, you know this. Rebecca has no idea. So. <laughs> What what makes all the hard work and planning and preparation for an adventure and going on that actual adventure worth it? Okay, because we all know it's hard work planning it. It's hard work saving for it. It's hard work creating the budget. It's hard work, you know, driving. If you're te- if you're tent camping along the way, you got to set up the tent. You got to cook the di- cook the dinner, clean the dishes, go to bed, go to the next place. And if you're a parent, you're trying to keep everybody happy and safe all along the way, but the memories that you make are worth it. In fact, I had somebody, when I asked them this question earlier today, he said, it's the hope that makes it worth it. And I love that. I just love that idea that it was the, I would say even that that's the journey that made all of that hard work worth it. And why, why am I, why am I saying this? That is a good question. Why are you saying why, this? Yes. Yes. I have a point. I have a point. Why, why am I saying this? Because a lot of times we think that hard work isn't fun. 
Mm. Okay. Or we equate hard work with the grind and everything. But mm. I want to sit there and put hard work in the context of a vacation to say sometimes we work really hard to do things that we love and we wouldn't actually consider that a lot of hard work or we enjoy it. We picture it better. And so what I'm trying to do is, okay, is say that, you know, disciple making is hard work. No doubt about it. Yes. But how do we have a disciple making is hard work, like going on a vacation or going on an adventure hard work versus the hard work of uh, maybe, I don't know, I pick a job that I think would be horrible. And that would be like working at a call center somewhere. I just that to me or being an accountant. I just sorry, sorry, uh, Steve, you know, I know that you like to be an accountant, but that's just not my image of like, you know, so apologies to any any Steves out there that aren't accountants. But anyway, he's actually <laughs> referring to a specific Steve that we know. But here what we're, you know, getting into then the specific of <clears throat> delineating between the fact that we will need to sacrifice and endure hardship, but then all but yet at the same time, we're not so, you know, that whole feeling of being burnt out or just treading water or having to um, escape or feeling like you constantly have to escape or take extended breaks from disciple making. So in other words, you feel like you constantly have to take naps or dread the next day and getting up or you're, um, <clears throat> you keep on taking a lot of vacations and stuff like that because you're so exhausted. That is something different. And And I think what Paul's saying here is that why they're different is that we usually think that, oh, I'm feeling burned out. That's because things are hard. I've been working really hard. The reality is that things can be really hard and you can still, oh, you know, have the feelings of being overwhelmed and confused and exhausted and brokenhearted at times without actually being brought to a point to where you're burnt out or unfruitful or wanting to quit, to quit that it's actually other factors that kind of get you to that place of wanting to quit or wanting to just escape from everything instead right. of continuing the journey. And so today what we're going to be doing is talking about the factors that actually make us miserable truly on in the road of disciple making versus just things that just can sometimes make it hard. Yeah, because if you feel like you have to constantly escape from the life that you're living and that could take a lot of different forms, okay? Or have to take extended breaks from disciple making, then something's wrong, okay? Disciple making shouldn't lead to burnout, okay? And so let, that's what we're going to dive in today is what could be wrong. Let's see if we can pop the hood, diagnose the problems and everything else. And because apparently my brain was stuck on camping, something that Rebecca doesn't do, um, I have a lot of camping metaphors worked into this. So you are um, open to some hilarity, uh, hopefully in here. So, so Rebecca, let me, let me ask you this. These are, these are a few things that can turn an adventure into a drag. Okay. Yes. Are, do you know what weeds are? Yes, I do know. <laughs> okay. So, you know, one of the things that we want to dive into is what are some of the things that can take an adventure and turn it into a drag? And one of the things that turns adventures into drags, I think, are weeds. 
You know, um, nobody really likes weeds. I mean, I guess if I'm looking at a field full of weeds from a far off place and they've got some pleasant flowers, then that's okay. But in terms of running through the fields, I don't like them, not so much. You know, weeds, uh, when they're in my garden, they're annoying. They sap up nutrients. They they keep the, the plants that I'm wanting to get sunlight from getting sunlight. Uh, you know, they're um, they have deep roots. So when I try to pull them out, they come right back and I have to go dig them out again and everything else. And and sometimes weeds, I mean, they give me hay fever. And I spend, I spend the whole summer like sneezing my head off because of all these weeds they're growing that I prefer not to be around and everything else. So, you know, as we think about and take that metaphor and apply it to disciple making, what are some examples of weeds? So one of the examples that I would think of are um, bad habits. Bad habits are a weed. It's not sinful. It's not terrible, or at least not at first, you know, but it can it can definitely take up a lot of our time, you know, because we're not handling things really, really well or causing unnecessary conflict and moving back and forth in communication or delays in communication or various things just because it's a bad habit because we're perhaps careless with something. And so we have to spend energy that we could otherwise spend on moving forward uh, dealing with this thing at hand. Another example of a weed may not be something that's a bad habit, but just mean lack of a good habit. Maybe we've never gotten to a place in our lives where we had to keep a schedule, okay? Not a big deal, we could handle it all in our heads, but as we get older and there's more demands on our time or we advance in leadership and there's more demands on our time, we need to keep a schedule in order to keep it all straight. And so maybe we don't have that habit in our life. And so that not having that habit, but having that demand put upon us keeps us, you know, dropping the ball, missing deadlines, forgetting to do things. And as a result, we're not able to move forward. So um, how do you know if you're stuck in the weeds? One of the ways that you know that you're, you're stuck in the weeds is that uh, you're dropping balls. That's what I would sit there and say. Because that would that would tell me that the demands being put on your time are now too big for the skill sets that you have to manage them. And so you got to come in and be able to do that. So let's say uh, one of the one of the things that Rebecca has helped me out with is developing a checklist you know, and, and so that I wouldn't miss different tasks that were coming up because not every task is calendared, right? So even if I'm good at keeping a calendar or I have people help me keep a calendar, I still need to have a personal to-do or checklist so I don't forget to get um, laundry soap at the grocery store, which then requires me to make another trip to the grocery store, which burns up time and burns up energy and things like that. I, I would think that getting stuck in the weeds is a lot of just experiencing the same kind of and I, I don't almost don't want to use the word failure because a lot of times that's such a huge momentous word, but mistakes, maybe that's more the word that I'm looking for is making the same mistakes over and over again. Maybe you're trying, you're, you're realizing you're really not that great at, at, at verbalizing or explaining something. Um, maybe you're not real, you're realizing that you're actually not that great at conflict. And um, <clears throat> you find, constantly find yourself making mistakes in in um, certain situations because you're just not handling conflict or stress well. Um, 
Now, that's some of the stuff that you were saying when it comes to, you know, bad habits. But if we're also looking on the other side of distractions when it comes to weeds, you know, things that suck up our time and energy, you know, sometimes it can be actually really just perfectly fine and good things. In fact, maybe what other people might pat you on the back over for doing. But in the end, they're not really something that's that's furthering disciple making. It's not some and in fact it's grown to a level like a weed to actually start overtaking your life and it's not keeping it within its bounds. So uh we talk about a lot of this in our class that you know, there can be something that's really good, but if it's out of balance, then it's actually keeping you to where it's actually keeping you from being obedient or successful and other things that God's called you to, then there's a problem. So um <clears throat> you're so an example of this might be, hey, I'm I'm killing it being with my family and or my church, but I'm not really out of my, among the lost very much. Well, you know, those are not necessarily being with your family and with your church aren't aren't bad things. They're just have gone up to a certain level to where you can't possibly do another command that's God's, God's called you to. So you're going to have to cut back on something in order to be able to accomplish the things God's called you to. Or even see them as multi-winning things where we're like, okay, I need to spend time with my family, but I need to be out with the loss. So rather than spending time playing Uno by ourselves at the dining room table, maybe it's, hey, let's invite another lost family over to play Uno with us and and those kind of things. So there's ways. So that kind of gets into the next phase of how do we overcome these weeds? Well, you know, if we're talking about busyness, then there are going to be some things we may need to cut from our schedule. You know, uh, I knew somebody once who was uh, who was uh, leading or attending like five different Bible studies over the course of the week, and they didn't have time to engage in disciple-making activities. So we now have to ask the question, do we really need to be involved in five different Bible studies or leading all five, or can we cut it back down to two or three and use the other time to be out intentionally around people who don't know Jesus? Or maybe create one of the, take one of those Bible studies, fashion it into a disciple making community and now have it be outward focus and around people who, who need Jesus. Or like we just said, you know, if we have family night, that's great. You know, we can have movies. We can play Uno. We can do that. We can also invite lost families in to join us. And specifically now we're spending both time with our family and we're teaching and modeling for our children how to have an open and hospitable and generous house that is focused on disciple making. One of the first questions we usually have asked coaching um, clients is, you know, uh, people we coach is, what are you going to say no to? in order to be able to do this. Because a lot of times what we have a tendency to do is just try to fit on top of whatever that we are currently doing something new. And the reality is, is that we're going to have to make way. Nothing is going to make your journey in disciple making more frustrating than trying to start disciple making, but you haven't made way enough time. You haven't cleared out enough distractions. You haven't maybe delegated away some responsibilities or decided to, Say, hey, this was good for a time, but hey, I won't be able to do that this semester to something else so that you can be able to do the thing that God's really calling you right now. And so nothing's going to suck more than out of you than trying to just simply add this on to the crazy busy life that you already have without making way for it. So this is how weeds 
And, and so that case, guys, a lot of times what we can do is not point at the weeds and say it's the weeds fault. We just say, oh, it's the journey's fault. It's too hard. It demands too much. It's, you know, it just, just, it's the journey's fault. I would be just okay. I was just okay beforehand. And so at the same way, when it comes to the habits and, oh, hey, I'm feeling so much more stressed out now. I don't seem to be having it all together. Then I just need to do less in my life. Well, sometimes the answer is that you just need to up your skills. You need to up your ability to handle things. And again, that's the idea of where it's not actually this the outside circumstances or the responsibilities that are burning you out. It's your, it's the weeds, it's the distractions and the lack of good skills that is actually holding you down from being able to be successful in it. Yeah, I know that uh, there have been times when I grew up either in the tropics where we have a lot of undergrowth and things like that that would be considered weeds, or even when I was in West Texas where we had fields full of burrs and and various things like that. If you try to run across those fields, man, your feet get caught up and you can fall down really, really easy. And uh, it's easy to say and blame it on the race, but it's not the race's fault itself. Like Rebecca was saying, it's not the journey's fault. It's the fact that there's weeds in the place we were trying to run. So how do we begin to remove those weeds? And I think that you started diving in to that a little bit, Rebecca, that we that we need to look and say, okay, what skill sets am I needing? What things am I needing to cut out and, and, the, and everything? And I think we are also starting to dive into the idea of what happens if we don't overcome the weeds? You know, um, this idea of that, this frust- pervasive frustration the, um, that will start to fill our lives and, and everything. The other thing is, is we, we can blame the new thing rather than look at the old things and say these old things weren't there. You know, when I was in college, I had a lot of time and I filled my time with a lot of activities. And if I tried to add a responsible thing like getting a job on top of the activities that I was already doing as a young college student, then I, it could very easily blame the stress in my life on the new job. Well, I need to grow. I need to get a job. That's what a responsible human being does. So instead of blaming the job and getting rid of the job and living perpetually as a, as a child, as a lost boy in Never Never Land, then I need to be willing to get rid of those things that, uh, that were filling my life. Maybe too much video games. I can't play six hours of video games each day and, and expect to get my studies done and have a job. I instead have to reduce the thing that's, that's irresponsible, potentially, but not evil. And then add in the thing that's responsible that's helping me grow. And as disciple makers, we know Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. That's not an option, guys. It's not an option. So I have to now cut out things that aren't commands and now add in the thing, the obedience to the command in front of me and figure out how life flows and grows with that and everything else. If I don't overcome that, then I either become, I I stay in a space where my capacity is limited uh, by the weeds, where I'm frustrated all the time, 
and perhaps where I never have the ability or room in my life to be able to do the things that God has been in front of me. Now, we just talked a lot about weeds, but there's another thing that we face on our adventures uh, as well, and that uh, that are thorns, okay? And if we look at a thorn, you know, a thorn, and some weeds do have thorns, I get that, and, and everything, especially as they grow really big, they can develop thorns over time, and I think that actually fits in with the metaphor really well, but a thorn, like if you're running across that field and a thorn, man, it grabs at you. It can actually draw blood it can do damage to you they can get lodged into your foot and make it hard to run they can get infected actually and keep you from running entirely in places where I grew up there were poisonous thorns where you could actually get a very serious and limb-threatening or life-threatening infection as a result of being stuck with a thorn and so as we're looking at our disciple making adventures when we're talking about thorns we're talking about things in our life that are that no longer are bad habits or lack of good habits we're talking about things that have progressed the level of being sinful so these are sinful things that are going to keep us from being able to experience the joy of disciple making or experience disciple making altogether or ultimately perhaps bring it to complete ruin of course, we know that <clears throat> at least what we usually say here in, in CDM a lot is that sinful things are not just things that we do that we shouldn't do. It's also things that we don't do that we should do. So in other words, it's not just about um, watching porn. It's also about being prayerless. Right. And so, you know, those are both sins. Now, of course, uh, this is also can be the case of not only personally with ourselves, but also with other people who are in our teams and our families and our lives. You know, um, we don't make enough deal about the fact that somebody's unrepentant sin and character problem, how much it really affects the people around them. Um, you know, it, even something as simple as, oh, well, they just have a tendency to overeat, even something like that. Eventually, other family members, ha you know, as your as that person's body breaks down and and doesn't, you know, operate well, they're going to have to deal first off with the heartbreak of seeing you uh, get into bad health. But then also they're going to have to pick up the slack. In, in all the things that you could have done if you kept yourself healthy and had healthy habits. Now that's, that's a very practical thing, but this happens in, in, um, other matters. Like if a person again is terrible with conflict, they're easily, um, uh, they're, they're easily offended by anything anybody says, you know, makes it really difficult to, to have meetings or to work as a team. Because they're constantly being, uh, you know, hurt by or angered by something somebody has said to them. And, you know, again, that's really, you would think, oh, well, that's not a big deal. Well, it can become a very big deal. Sin often becomes a really big deal over time, even if most people would consider it not one of the mortal sins that we have inside the Bible. And so... The importance is, is that, you know, like, a, like other thorns, a small little thing can paralyze you. A small little thing can trip you up. And what we see over and over in scriptures that if we don't deal with something when it's small, it will grow and it will, could take us out completely. 
And so, you know, that leads me to the question, Paul, you know, um, how, how do we overcome the thorns? Yeah, I mean, it, it, being able to overcome the thorns, I have to, especially for me, uh, one of the things I have to do is I have to turn to outside help that have been provided by the body of Christ. Uh, so like John Wesley wrote a list of questions that he would use to reflect over to help identify if there's any thorns that had come up into his life. Uh, Amy Carmichael wrote a poem called If that has the same kind of impact that sits there and helps identify. One of the reasons that Rebecca and I attend legacy churches is because God may use the, the, the pastor from the pulpit and speak to us through their sermon in that moment of reflection as we're reflecting and to identify maybe certain sins that are starting to take root in our lives. And so I think that the first thing we do in overcoming thorns is we have to build in spaces of reflection and use tools that help us reflect on our lives to identify sin and its effects in our in and around us. We may even lean on close friends and family to sit there and say, hey, do you notice anything, any patterns in my behavior and relating to you that are, are coming from a place of sin? And I think that secondly, um, we begin to confess. We have to take those things and agree with God that these things are sin and that they are wrong and, and say, hey, I was wrong. I don't want to do that. And I renounce that and everything. But we can't just stop there. We need to fill our lives within the behavior that is opposite to that or that is in obedience to what God says to do instead of in disobedience. And so we have to repent. That means I'm turning away from the error that I had and I'm now doing the things that are bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And then finally, I say we have to we have to lean into community because let's say sin has been rooted in our lives. We may have a habit of sin and le leaning into community. The community can help us identify more faster when they're starting to see those effects of sin on our life and our inability to move forward. Now, the I think that go ahead, Rebecca, what do you what do you think? I think I think that, you know, additionally, so that's great, especially for, you know, personally. So then how does this work within a community of people? If there is, you know, first off, how do you know if something is is worth addressing in other people, you know, um, and to where you're not being hypercritical? Well, basically, when something that is in that other person's lives is actively getting to a level where it's causing the people around them to have extra pain and effort to make up for that sin. You know, they're having to excuse some of that person's behavior or they're having to pick up the things that they just don't do. They're having to, to constantly endure, you know, the pain of the harsh words that they said or something like that. It's, you know, when you, whenever it starts to get that, that's where you need to do that. And, um, again, it's for the sake of that person and the group and the future of the mission that it causes it to say, hey, we have need to go and love it. And this is where Matthew 18 comes in. I mean, it's one of the most ignored pieces of scripture. And I would say at this bit point, it's even more ignored than than some of our passages on LGBTQ stuff. I, it's just the fact of, hey, you need to go to that person. And if they won't receive what you're saying, you take more people with you and you go and you confront them. And this escalates and they continue to be unrepentant about what they're doing. This escalates. 
and consequences, both socially and also practically within ministry, you know, uh, as it goes along. And so, you know, uh, you know, nobody, okay, I'm not going to say nobody because there's a few people, very small percentage of humankind actually like conflict. Most other people don't like conflict. They don't like being the bad guy, quote unquote, or at least perceived to be the bad guy. But the reality is you're not being the bad guy. You're being God's hand to be able to help um, bring freedom to teams, family, the, the families and other people to be able to deal with sin that is actively oppressing and harming people. And so um, that's the mentality we need to be, to be able to have. And when we come into those things, we just need to be willing to, to uproot those thorns. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we don't uproot those thorns, I mean, I've seen everything from, you know, people's ability to make disciples is, is hamstrung uh, because dealing with all the conflict that their their personal sin is creating actually keeps it from happening. We've actually been coached with people who have had to who have confessed sin to us, and they've had to stop making disciples for a while because the once again the conflict that their sin had developed in their life ended up being all consuming and everything. We've seen people lose credibility. We've seen uh, we've seen organ. I've seen whole or two different organizations completely destroyed by the in uh, the unwillingness to deal with sin at the upper levels of leadership within their organization, either personally or within the people that their organization uh, that were part of their organization. And this is going to be uncomfortable, but often, but, but a lot of times the sin of a family member who's not necessarily considered the leader of the min- in the ministry in the family can often take out a person at least for a significant amount of time. So in other words, if the husband's the person who's in the ministry, you know, the wife is being very sinful about something or selfish or whatever, and it could take them out or vice versa, you know? And so the, the react, or maybe it's a, a parent or something that they're having to take care of and they're being incredibly selfish and unrealistic and all the different types of stuff. And that again is a burden and can take them and threaten to take them out of the ministry altogether, if not to at least dramatically hinder them. So again, we need to stop pretending that other people's sins don't matter to anybody else other than themselves. It most certainly does. It not only hurts other people, but it actually, it means that whatever positive influence that person should have had, you know, they're not that the people aren't receiving them. So, you know, let's just say your spouse doesn't like making disciples and they're starting to say you shouldn't make disciples either. And first off, not only are they trying to stop you, but your your personal spouse should be making disciples themselves. Imagine the people that could have been reached if your spouse was willing to actually obey themselves. Yeah. So, and, you know, it does hurt many people when that happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you're you're listening to the Contagious Disciple Miking podcast. Uh, I'm Paul Watson. This is Rebecca Ewing. We're going to be right back after a little short break, and we're going to continue discussing treading water and how that affects our disciple making adventure. And we're going to talk about bugs, lots of bugs. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, family. Paul here. I want to take a quick moment and share something you may not know. 
CDM is a nonprofit ministry. That means everything we do is supported by individuals just like you. This year has been pretty busy with launching the Freedom Initiative and the Next Generation Project, as well as coaching people and training people to be disciple makers in their own spaces. We haven't been able to spend a ton of time fundraising, and we are facing a budget shortfall. We need friends like you who would commit to being a monthly supporter of all the wonderful things we do here at CDM. We're looking for 1,000 of our listeners to commit to giving $45 per month. If you can give more or less, that's great. We just want to keep serving God by serving you and equipping the body of Christ to make disciples and start movements. Just head on over right now to ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com to donate, or you can do it right through our app. Thanks for listening. Thanks for praying. And thanks for giving. All right, all right. Coming back after the break, we've been already talking about the effects that weeds and thorns have on robbing the joy of our disciple-making adventure and making it more of a drag. And there's another thing that can make it more of a drag, and that is treading water. So, so um, what do uh, what do I mean by by treading water here and uh, and everything? So, treading water is uh, when we're just expending a ton of energy, doing a lot of things. And then it begins to, our limbs begin to get tired and we don't have any direction. I don't know if I was a Boy Scout, so I had to do treading water as part of various merit badges. Ultimately, I was a, um, a lifeguard as well. And so I had to learn a lot about treading water. And I just, the, the big thing that I take away that I have about treading water is treading water is not fun uh, and everything. And it's not something I want to do very long at all. And so that idea of spending more energy and getting nowhere will rob the joy of our disciple-making adventure. So what are some examples of treading water uh, that we can have on our disciple-making adventure? Well, first of all, a lack of direction. We see this happen from time to time in, in places where uh, a disciple-making movement is not clearly defined to its people. And as a result, they keep doing a lot of activities that they say they should do. Sometimes those very activities aren't defined well. And as they just keep expending energy and getting frustrated because they don't feel like they're getting anywhere. So a lack of definition of what a disciple making movement is. If you don't have a good, concrete, solid definition, then how do you know when you get there? A lack of definition of what a person of peace is. Man, if you don't have a good, solid, concrete definition, then, then that's going to be really hard to know when you get there. Here's another one, a lack of understanding of a discovery Bible study. I mean, I talk to people all the time. They're like, man, we're trying this discovery Bible study thing, and it's just not working. And after a few questions, I realized they tried to start it with their, with their uh, group of Christians meeting for Sunday school in their local church. And they're wondering why it's not multiplying and it's not going out and, and making a difference among the lost. And so a uh, lack of definitions keeps us from, from being able to do the things that take us in a direction and uh, so that we know that we're actually achieving and accomplishing something. I would say that the other thing that really causes a lack of direction is just really not having a plan in order to be able to, or, or knowing what it takes in order to be able to get to the next big steps. You know, one of the things that we really specialize in trying to help people and, and, CDM is 
what, how is what you're doing today supposed to get you to where you need to go? There's this, there's this big goal of, uh, this is there, you're trying to start a discovery Bible study. Well, how do you know what you're doing today is going to get you to starting a discovery Bible study, you know? And, and so we come up with, with daily things, daily, weekly habits that you need to be doing in order to be able to get there. And so first off, sometimes there's even just a complete lack of understanding, but sometimes it's, you're doing that thing, but you're really not doing it with any kind of intention. It's just, Hey, I'm, it's like showing up to, um, to a swim class and you're just splashing around in the shallow end and you really don't know what you're, you're really not focused on what you need to be doing in order to get better as a swimmer. And so, you know, sometimes we can find ourselves in those places where we're just checkboxing our engagements, checkboxing our stuff. Hey, I showed up, you know, be thankful for that, you know, kind of thing instead of actually trying to be aware and intentional and knowing where you're going with all of this. Yeah, I'll give you a good example of that. I mean, it's going to the gym and and spending two hours and not experiencing any results. You're like, man, I spend two hours a day in the gym and everything. Well, if you actually looked at it, you're you're actually only spending about 20 to 30 minutes actually doing exercises and you're spending an hour and a half on your phone sitting on the machines, tying them up forever from everybody else using them, not that I am a little bitter about the people that do that at my gym. Okay. So, uh, so that's a something there is that you could be going in and, and to your daughter's gymnastics class, sitting around with the parents outside of that class, watching it, saying that you're engaging with the parents, but in reality, most of the time is spent in a text conversation with your spouse over what you're going to have for dinner tonight or an argument with your mother-in-law or your father-in-law over where you're going to spend Christmas or Thanksgiving. And so getting distracted while you're there makes you un, you know, unaware that you're actually not engaging in the space when you're there, that you're going, but you're not talking to anybody. You're not getting to know anyone. And as a result, you're not moving forward and you can get frustrated. I think that another one, Rebecca, that we see often in our coaching is the fear of failure or a, what I would even say is a fear of the next step. That uh, we see a lot of people go, well, I don't know if I could, if I did this or if I asked that person to join me, what if they said no? What if, what if they don't want to get involved? What if, what if, and they go in through all the what ifs and they never get started. We see this with prayer calendar. What if, what if they don't want to be on my prayer calendar? I, I look at them and say, why are you asking them to be on your prayer calendar? Just call them and offer to pray. That's a perfectly normal human thing to do. And, uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of these really things that people start second guessing themselves and their activities and whether they're going to be successful or not, that then keeps them from moving forward. People can often be more scared of what is unknown than the unfruitfulness of what they currently know. So they're, they feel much more current, much more comfortable just doing what they're currently doing, even though they know they're not doing anywhere, then they're actually trying to do something in a slightly different way or to, or some, or, or trying sticking their neck out on something that they feel is a little bit different and they don't know what the result is. So, you know, that, that definitely can end up paralyzing us and putting us in a treading water position. So, you know, um, I think that a lot of, Maybe the next thing is, is just not knowing how to be able to process all of these feelings and also all of, you know, just being able to process through what to do. You know, oftentimes we, 
it is often said that if we do not master, if we do not intentionally guide our lives or intentionally know what we're going to be doing, it will be decided for us. Mm-hmm. And so we, we often live in the urgent and the immediate and what is presented to us rather than us sit, sitting there and saying, God has given me, made me a steward of my time and my efforts and myself. And so ultimately I am responsible to say, what does it in, what does this day hold? I'm not trying to say that we're, we're not relying upon God and we're not trying to understand surprises come up. Absolutely. But we don't come at the day or our times or, or whatever to where we don't have spaces where we can reflect and be able to be intentional about anything. And because of that, we often don't have spaces in order to even process our feelings about anything or like, hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Well, why am I feeling overwhelmed? Well, because I don't know what's happening with this area of my life. Okay, well, what about that? You know, let's think it through. Let's come up with a plan. Let's give it to God in prayer. Let's, let's, uh, you know, put some action steps in to see what we should do next regarding it. No, we would much rather just distract ourselves with either more busyness or more fun things and not think about it and then it, not be forced to think about it. And it just makes everything worse. And so we can't ignore the dragons that are lurking in the, in the, the corners of our mind by just, you know, dousing it with more busyness or more stuff. We've got to have the time to be able to actually address it. And if we don't, we will find ourselves treading water. Yeah, I would think that also a thing that allows us to tread water more than we should is inconsistency. Because we go in and we engage a group of people, we get to know them a little bit, and then we check out for one reason or another for three or four weeks. Maybe things got busy at home, got busy at work, maybe our weeds were keeping us from going, perhaps even some thorns were keeping us from going. And for whatever reason, now three months have passed and we go in and we're like, man, I was engaged there for a month and now I feel like I'm starting over. And the answer is yes, you're starting over. And so now you're like, oh, I've been at this place for a whole year trying to engage them. And I go, no, in reality, you were there for one month and then you weren't there for three months and then you were there for two weeks and then you were, weren't there for three weeks and then you were there for like five days and then you were there. And so if we added it all up over time, how do we expect to build relationships and to build trust with the people we're trying to engage if we're not consistently in that space? And so I feel like treading that that a lack of consistency of engagement or consistency in prayer mobilization or consistency in building up our credibility with our body of Christ so that they can see us as a trustworthy and consistent person is uh, will sap our energy because we're just expending all this energy and it's not taking us anywhere and everything else. The, the another one that I see here too on an often off, or often Rebecca is a lack of um, micro celebrations. So I've seen people like, particularly on the mission field, this happens where they're like, I haven't had a movement yet. I haven't started a church yet. And I go, well, wait a second. Are you familiar with the very things that you're doing that make the end of your day successful? You know, did you mobilize prayer? Did you mobilize the body of Christ to get engaged with the lost? Did you engage the lost? Did you, you know, equip, you know, someone to help you out by inviting them as a tag along to go along with you? I mean, these are all things that if we are consistent and do them every day, they will add up and create momentum that will take us towards movement. But we also need to celebrate the activity 
or um, we, we can become discouraged because we haven't gotten there. Getting started on movement, guys, we say this all the time, movement is a 10-year process or more. And so we have to learn what makes us successful each and every day and create a culture of celebrating those actual realistic, tangible wins in order to sustain us through and to keep our hope stoked through that 10-year process in order to get to movement and everything. So, you know, the question might be, I, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, how do we know we're treading water in the sense of that, hey, we're not making any progress forward. We're not, um, you know, nothing seems to be, cut. no fruit seems to be coming out of this. You know, um, I'm doing the same thing for a very long time with no seeming results. You know, there's that, you know, I'm perhaps even this idea that I'm, again, what we were saying at the beginning of this whole podcast is I'm taking a lot of breaks. I'm, you know, I'm finding myself taking a lot of vacations or taking a lot of breaks. I'm just not really sticking in this very well. So then the question really is, how do we stop from treading water? How can we get back on this? And and honestly, one of the things that I think might be surprising uh, in this is to really identify why you're treading water in the first place. Mm-hmm. If you're really not, it, you know, sometimes what people can do when they find themselves in a place of unfruitfulness is at least what Paul and I've really experienced in coaching is they often pick the wrong reason as to why they're stuck. They're always like, oh, well, it's this or it's that. And it's like, no, that's not actually why you're stuck. You know, you're actually stuck about because of this other thing. So like, for instance, a person could be sitting there going like, oh, I'm treading water because I'm just in the wrong place. You know, um, I, I, I just am not doing the right thing. And so I just need to hop to something else. You know, I just need to go and do some other kind of engagement because this one is not giving me the fruit that I want to do. Now, undoubtedly, there is a time where we all have to face that question. But there are people who do that too quickly. That what they're doing is, is that they're going from, they're hopping from pool to pool to pool if we're doing the swimming analogy. You know, go, going, oh, 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 but, you know, before it even is, it can have a chance to be fruitful before we're able to do that. But often those people don't see that. What they're seeing is, hey, I've been here for six months. Why haven't I started a discovery Bible study? And so, you know, sometimes things just take a bit of time of getting to know people before you actually are able to make use of that. My, Let me give you an example. My brother and I, when we were younger, um, my our dad would take us fishing. And I, it's one of the, he's my older brother. He's one of the few, it's one of the few things that I actually was better at him at. And so he would, just, you know, when we would, he, dad would put the little worms on our hooks, he would cast it out there and wait like maybe 30 seconds and then reel it in. And then he would cast it out there and wait for like 30 seconds and then reel it in. And then he would cast it and, you know, he would catch almost no fish. Whereas in me, I just sat there. And I watched the bob, the little, you know, floater on top of the thing. And I'd watch it and I'd be patient and I'd watch it. And then I would start seeing a little bob. I'm like, oh, 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 no, hold on. Wait till it actually goes under. And then when it finally whatever, then, ha ha. And I would pull it in. And here's his little sister who's beating him in and catching fish because ultimately at the moment, what I, what I understood 
wasn't just the fact that my goal was to catch a fish. I knew that in order to catch a fish, the fish had to actually completely bite on the hook and take it under. And that means he had to be tempted by this this worm and nibble at it and then finally bite onto it. Mm-hmm. And so I and I had to be patient until that happened. And so, again, the analogy here being sometimes we can be too impatient with not having immediate success that we don't actually understand what the true task is in front of us, which is to love people, which is to get them hungry for the word and to be able to present that. And then that we can be able to get them started in discovery Bible study. So, you know, so I would, this is all for me to say that, Hey, we need to identify what the whole thing is actually causing us to tread water in the first place. Yeah, I totally agree with that. We we get some people, and I'm going to talk to those of us who are more type A people, we're very goal-driven and things like that, that we sit there and we create checklists and we start moving people through checklists and forcing things to happen before people naturally are ready to, or maybe even before the Holy Spirit is taken there. So I have somebody, like sometimes somebody will go, well, I took them through the whole conversation quadrant and I've, I invited them to do a DBS. And I'm like, oh, how many, how many discovery conversations did you have with them? Just one? Maybe two? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like I took them through a casual conversation and to a meaningful conversation, a discovery conversation, a, sp- a meaningful conversation. And boom, I invited them to do a discovery Bible study. I'm like, but that's more of a tool to help, you know, and identify what the Holy Spirit is doing and think through maybe ways you can respond. It's not a I take them through each of those boxes and then I give an invitation to a discovery Bible study. And it's a yes or no kind of thing, because what that does is when we try to try move people along rather than being aware of where they are and intentionally meeting them in that space, if we try to force them too fast, we turn them into projects and we stop seeing them as people. And that's another form of treading water because eventually people get that sense and they stop returning phone calls. They stop showing up because they, and they may not be able to articulate it, but they feeling like they're more of a project. The other thing we see is when, um, when somebody starts a discovery Bible study with a person, and now the only kind of engagement that you have with them is a discovery Bible study. You no longer are hanging out. You're no longer doing fun things. You have to have a discovery Bible study. That makes people feel like projects again. Whereas if you were walking with them before, you need to continue to go on walks. Or if you were working out at the gym before, you need to continue to work out at the gym and then do a discovery Bible study as well at a separate time. So they feel like a real person that you really care about because that's what they should be, by the way. So, you know, uh, on the opposite, and we kind of said that, uh, referred to this a little bit, is that there are people that they're not type A's and more type B, C's kind of people that are like, hey, I'm just happy doing these, you know, little bit of stuff, good enough checkbox. I'm doing my one thing, you know, type of thing. And I'm happy not being too stressed out about anything. And so they, they stay in the same thing. They don't see fruit for, for years and they just, they're not willing to change. And so they're just treading, treading water or what some people might actually say plateauing. They get to a place to where they're like, I'm not comfortable anymore with taking this next step. And they just refuse to take the next step in their disciple making. So Ultimately, how can we stop treading water? Um, first, uh, we need to ha- take time to sit down and, like I said, identify why we're doing that. 
why we're treading water. Is it because we don't have a plan? If we don't have a plan, we need to make a plan. Is it because we're being inconsistent? Is it because that we there are some emotional issues we need to deal with? Is it because we just really lost connection with God? You know, um, have we just lost our hope? And the best way to do this is with with within a context of mentors and coaches okay. and community who are sitting there and helping us figure this out. Because again, it's a lot of times we're in this stuck place for a reason. It means a lot of times that we don't even perceive why we're stuck. And somebody else has to start pointing it out to us like, hey, it's this. And so, you know, this needs to be done within community. And once you've identified what it is, then you need to set a plan in order to be able to get out of it and then just start living a life in which you are in which you are doing the things that help make you successful consistently, creating a plan working the the thing that the disciple making habits that actually lead somewhere engaging people effectively praying seeking god's face being filled up with him dealing with sin you know uh constantly celebrating you know what he's given and done for you these are all things that are going to help you be able to make progress forward and not keep you stuck where you are right exactly the last thing that we're going to talk about today are bugs you know, any t- any adventure we deal with bugs, okay? And bugs can relate uh, can range from mildly annoying to actually dangerous. I mean, you know, a mosquito is annoying unless you get malaria. I'm just gonna say, but they, most of the time in the United States, they're annoying. Okay, gnats are annoying. Crickets may be annoying, but uh, unless they're far away, and then maybe pleasant on a summer night. But uh, but a brown recluse spider. That's dangerous. A black widow spider, that's dangerous. Okay. And so what these kind of represent are these um, are these outside forces that are coming against us in order to either suck away our time or perhaps even threaten us to keep us from, from moving forward. Okay. I think it even more appropriate is for us to say that because um, we can't always remove these things, it's more like what's really holding us back is not reacting well to it or not, or not planning for them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you go on a camping trip and you're like, and you completely disregard the fact that there are going to be bugs out there and you leave the food out, it's like, well, those bugs are going to be going for that food. And you're going to be surprised when you come back after a couple of hours and they're covered with bugs you know, that's kind of on you. You should have realized that. Or you didn't um, bring mosquito repellent. I, I I have to say I've made that mistake and had to run to a local convenience store and pay way too much for mosquito repellent just because I forgot it. So, yeah. There can be, so there can be, you know, preparation. So similarly, when we're talking about opposition for outside forces, you know, God has commanded us or told us, excuse me, that, that, we're, that we're going to have opposition from outside forces. We're not going to be able to, to remove that, we shouldn't try to remove necessarily opposition from outside forces in the sense of obviously we want to try to to bring more people to Christ and therefore more people at peace with them. But my point is, is that we shouldn't attempt to say like, oh, well, if I just do X, Y, and Z, nobody will come against me. It's like that just won't happen. So we, so, but however, so we know it's going to happen. We know that hardship's going to happen. And it ultimately, those things are not the things, though, that stop us ultimately. It's, again, the reacting to them that is. 
So if there's some preparation that we need to be able to do in order to be able to to uh, deal with that opposition when we fu- when we come against it, we need to take that preparation. Yeah, absolutely. Like for me, I know that I deal a lot better with unexpected events if I've had a time to center myself in the word and in prayer before the day begins. If I don't, then I don't, I, then it's a, then it's a, it's a, um, anybody's guess as to how I might react. I might react got in a godly manner. I might act in an ungodly rem- manner and I don't even know myself. Okay. Cause I'll be working from whatever I have in that moment. And when we don't mobilize prayer significantly for our disciple making habits, we're leaving ourselves vulnerable to opposition and from the enemy, from other people, you know, things like that. And so that is part of the reason why we mobilize prayer for our efforts. And it is essential for us as we are doing disciple making and all this, you know, and also just some of the habits that we're building in our lives and, 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 you know, that we were talking about earlier, being able to handle conflict, being able to handle stress, being able to have, you know, good habits. These are all things that actually can help us when when crises or opposition come to be able to deal with these things better. You know, if we are used to sitting on our uh, uh, sitting on our couches in our living rooms and then suddenly we're called to run for our lives, you know, sometimes we're not you know, really well equipped at that moment to be able to do so. But the person who got up every day and exercised and remained fit, they might actually be able to make, I mean, I don't know if any of you guys watch horror films. I don't particularly favor them. But if you do, you realize the person who usually gets eaten first is the one who is the, the fat one who doesn't really ever exercise or do anything. It's kind of, they made themselves vulnerable to the, to the enemy when they come. And so that's the thing is what is making you vulnerable to the enemy when it comes now, I want to, I want to give another shade of this, Paul, is that, you know, there also are bugs that really in the end, they're not dangerous or they're not any big deal, but we can make a big deal out of nothing. And, you know, so there may be some things that other people do that, okay, they may be annoying at times, or maybe they're actually completely innocuous. There's nothing wrong with them, but we are like, Oh no, we react to them like they're huge threats. I know some people who are scared of ladybugs. It's ridiculous. You know, I know some people who are scared of regular beetles. There's nothing scary about a beetle. It's not going to hurt you. Um, you know, you might find it icky, but it's not going to hurt you. And so, you know, we can overreact a lot of times to people and what they may think or what they might say or what they might do. And the reality is it's not it we're first off, we're maybe just making a big deal out of nothing. And or even if it is something, it's kind of like, okay, we're supposed to feel fear God more than this bug. And so, you know, we do what he says and we minimize whatever damage this bug could possibly do to us. It's really interesting. I was reading in Ephesians six uh just the other day, and it talked about the preparation uh with of peace. The preparation that comes with peace. And and one of the things I felt like the Lord really pointed out to me again is that peace is given not necessarily for my enjoyment, but so that I can prepare for the battle in front of me. And so am I taking those gaps in my schedule, uh, not all of them, but some of them, to be begin preparing myself? So one of the things that I do is I read books that help me deal with uh, potentially anxiety 
you know, I may not know if I have anxiety or not, but I might read a book to sit, sit there to see if that exists in my own heart so that then I can begin dealing with it. Because if I deal with it, then if, if things come against me that may cause anxiety, I already have tools in my toolbox to help me work with it. I listen, Rebecca and I both listen to podcasts from a wide variety of sources that, that provide suggestions on how to deal with various things that might happen. Rebecca and I um, will often talk about different scenarios and how if we were in this scenario, how would we face this scenario or how would we address this or that? All of those kind of conversations, not only are they fun to have, not only are they interesting to dive into, but they also serve to prepare us as leaders for the bugs, for the oppositions that we might face going on, uh, as well as sometimes they help us deal with the weeds. They help us to root out the thorns and then they help us to identify perhaps when we're treading water and how to move forward or how to help others move forward in the process in and of itself. So I'm thinking just as we close that we need to just, you know, lean into community, lean into coaching, leave it, lean into mentoring and those kind of things. We need, if you find yourself frustrated in your disciple making journey, if you find yourself saying, I just need a break and, and everything else, then I want you to stop and say, do you just need some rest, like a good Sabbath rest? Or if you're feeling the need to take this extended break or put things on pause all the time, then maybe it's because you're either caught up in the weeds, dealing with thorns, treading water, or swatting bugs, okay? And I wanna leave you with some scriptures that I find encouraging that help me spur me on to deal with these things so that I can move forward to the goal that is ahead of me. And what is the goal? I wanna see God's kingdom come and I wanna see his will be done right here on earth, right here in the United States and Canada as it is in heaven. I want to be able to live out that life that seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all these things would be added unto me, not earthly things like a Corvette or a Cormero or a brand new house, but instead the spiritual things, which are disciples who make disciples who make disciples and, and communities that are transformed uh, by the power of Jesus Christ. And so here's one of my favorites, right? Rebecca, do you have anything to add before I go into into the scriptures? Yeah, ultimately, uh, you know, guys, as we're just like if we were on going on an actual trip, in which we constantly have to remind ourselves why we're here, what are we hoping to see, and you know, can say, hey, let's just let's just get through the fact that we're hungry and tired right now because it's going to look really good up here. You know, it's we're going to be able to see this coming up. You know that. Let's just hold on and, or let's just appreciate this moment. We have to ultimately just be helping ourselves be able to overcome the, the hard things along the journey by keeping in mind the good things that are present and to come in our disciple making and why we're doing what we're doing. That's right. So scripture says in first Corinthians nine, 24 to 27, do you not know that those who run, who run in a race all run? but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not, at one, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjugation, lest when I have uh, preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. 
That's 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And then we have Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then finally, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Thanks for listening to the CDM podcast. Don't forget to leave that rating or review. And don't forget to help us out by becoming a monthly supporter. You can do that super quick right here on the Contagious Disciple Making app before you leave. Thanks also, for listening to the CDM podcast and supporting us on Patreon. Disciples. For what coaching or for? other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com or download the Contagious Disciple Making app. Join us in the journey of becoming world-changing disciple makers.